This is uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Um, Let me just make a, a, a comment here about the high places. Usually when the Bible refers to high places like this, it's referring to old pagan shrines that were left that were not destroyed. So it might be a case that the people here are offering, they're offering sacrifices to God, uh, they're not necessarily offering pagan sacrifices or engaged in pagan worship. They're offering sacrifices to God, but they're just doing it at the location where some of these pagan shrines may have been left. Now, there were some, some altars built uh, by the Jews specifically for the worship of God. So not necessarily every so-called altar in these high places would necessarily be a pagan one. But the general perception I have is that a lot of these high places were just uh, leftovers from... Uh, when uh, there were lots of pagans living in the land. In any event, let's read on, verse 4. Now the king, that's King Solomon, went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. Now why did he go to Gibeon? Because the tabernacle was there. The temple has not yet been built in Jerusalem, and so the tabernacle has been placed at Gibeon. Um, The brazen altar is there, although the Ark of the Covenant is in Jerusalem. So now verse 4. So the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. So that may have actually spanned a couple of days, perhaps. Uh, Verse 5, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask, what shall I give you? Wow, if God said to you, Ask me for anything you want, what would you ask for? Yeah. We might ask, Lord, you know, give me better health, cure my, cure my ailments, free me from Lyme disease or whatever and all the things that it's caused. Or, or, or we might ask, Lord, help me, help me to do better financially or help me to get my bills paid or, or do something for someone in my family who has a problem. In other words, our immediate inclination might be for God to solve our personal problems so that we ourselves will fare better in life. I guess what I'm saying, our initial uh, inclination might be to just ask things for ourselves. But notice what Solomon asked for. And, and by the way, Solomon's going to uh, spend a little time thanking God before he makes his request. And you know, that's a lesson here for us. We should thank God first before we make our request. So notice verse uh, um, 6. Here's Solomon's response, verse 6. And Solomon said, Lord, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in in, in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, for David, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as as it is this day. So what is Solomon doing? Before he even gets around to mentioning his petitioner's request, he says, God, the first thing I have to say to you is you've been so good to my father. You've shown great kindness to my father, David. And now you're showing kindness to me because I am that son, that son of David that you raised up to sit on my father, David's throne. 
What an honor, what a privilege is mine, Lord, and I'm praising you for your mercy and your grace and your goodness. Verse 7, Now, O Lord, you have made your servant, now he's referring to himself, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. I appreciate Solomon's humility. What is Solomon saying here? Lord, I have this wonderful honor. You've been so good to me. You've been kind to my father. You've extended kindness to me. You've made me king over your people. But I don't know how to do the job. I'm not prepared. I'm not ready. This task is insurmountable. It's huge. And by the way, when the text says that Solomon does not know how to go out or come in, it doesn't mean he does not know how to walk out of the royal palace or how to walk back in. It means he doesn't know how to conduct himself as a king. He does not know how to do this great and awesome job. And I appreciate someone in Solomon's position who is humble enough to cry out to God and admit to God, I need your help to do this job because I can't do it on my own. But I wish we had more more people involved in politics who would have that kind of humility to ask God for help and really mean it. So he says, I'm just a little child. I'm a novice. I'm not experienced. I don't know how to do this. Now verse 8. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. A great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. So you see what Solomon has done in these three verses? Lord, you're just full of great mercy. You're so good. You're so kind. You put me in this position. That's because of your kindness and your goodness. And here I am, and I'm in a position I don't deserve. And I'm, I'm just a child. I'm just a novice. I can't do the job. I need your help. And Lord, let's consider the enormity of the job. Lord, you have placed me over your covenant people. These are not just any people. Lord, you've placed me over the people of Almighty God. They're your people, the people you have chosen. They're a great people. The people God brought out of Egypt, the the people that God made great. Those are the people. So now, what does Solomon ask for? Notice verse 9. Therefore, by the way, I have to admit, you know, Solomon has given this, he's given his position and his role a lot of thought. Solomon is a very contemplative, reflective person. He understands the magnitude of his situation. Verse 9, now, therefore, give to your servant. And you can't help but notice how many times he refers to himself as God's servant. He has a good understanding of his role as king. He's God's servant. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Lord, help me to be able to discern, to be able to distinguish between good and evil from right and wrong. Lord, I want to render true justice. I want to render judgment that is right and holy and pure and good and that pleases you. And I need your help to do that. What Solomon is saying here, Lord, I take the job you have given me seriously and I don't want to be a mediocre king. I want to do the best job I can possibly do because you're God, you're great, you put me in this office and these are your people. You get a sense of his understanding of a trust. He has been entrusted with something wonderful, important, and enormous. And by the way, we've all been entrusted with something as well. We've been given the gift of eternal salvation. We've been entrusted with that wonderful gift of salvation. We've been entrusted with this ministry here 
uh, that we refer to as Emmanuel Baptist Church. And we need to follow through and do the very best we can because of what we have been entrusted with by God. So what a request. Lord, I, j- I just, I just want to do the best job I can possibly do. And I want to do it for you. So how does God respond to all this? Verse 10. And the speech, and the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this thing. Verse 11, then God said to him, because you have asked this thing, and you have not asked for a long life for yourself, and you have not asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall there be anyone like you after you, or shall anyone arise after you, like you. Verse 13, I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among all the kings of your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, uh, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. Wow, God is good. God granted his request because it pleased the Lord. God gave him a wise and understanding heart. And you recall all the Proverbs that Solomon wrote. Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes on the meaning of life. And Solomon wrote the Song of Solomon, which is a love story between the love of a man and a woman. And we see here the generosity of God in that he not only gave and granted Solomon's request to give him wisdom to judge God's covenant people, but God said, you know what? I'm also going to give you riches and wealth. And yes, if you walk before me and keep my commandments, I'll give you a long life. And that would presumably be a healthy life as well. Wow, what blessings are following on Solomon. So now the rest of the chapter is an example or an illustration of Solomon's judgment. It's an illustration of Solomon's great wisdom. And by the way, these chapters really make a lot out of Solomon's wisdom. They make a big deal out of this gift that God gave him. So what happened is there were these two prostitutes, and they each conceived and and bore children. And they bore children in about uh, three days apart from each other. They lived in the same house. And at night, uh, one of the women must have uh, rolled on top of her son, and he was suffocated. So that woman got up in the night and took the living child of the other woman and put it in her bed and put the dead child next to the other woman. So the other woman wakes up in the morning and finds this child that she at first thinks is hers and is going to go feed the child. Then she discovers this child is not hers. It's dead. It's not hers. It's the other woman's child. And the other woman has her child that's alive. First child custody battle. (laughs) Things haven't changed much. But anyway... So what do they do? They go, they go to Solomon, because in the ancient world, the king was also the judge. Solomon hears the case. So what is he going to do? Well, he's got to find out who's telling the truth. One woman says, no, it's my child. The other woman says, no, 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 it's my child. Well, someone's telling the truth, and someone is lying. Someone is telling a big, fat lie. So Solomon has to sort it all out. 
So verse 24, I'm giving you the background here, so let's fast forward here in the story. So verse 24, then the king said, bring me a sword. So they went out and brought Solomon a sword. Verse 25, and the king said, divide the living child in two. Cut the child in half. Give one half to one woman and the other half to the other woman. Verse 26, then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, oh oh my Lord, give the living child and by no means kill him. Give her, give the other woman the living child and don't kill him. But the other woman said, no, let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. Cut him in half. So you can see the different responses here. One woman was moved with compassion. Oh, no, no, don't, don't, don't cut the child in half. Don't kill him. Obviously, that was the mother. The mother speaking out of love for her son. She loved her son so much that if she had to give her son away that he might live, she'd be willing to do that. The other woman, whose son was the son that died, and she's the one that confiscated or took the other woman's living child. Oh, just cut the child in half. See, she didn't care. Her, her real son was already dead. So, verse 27. So the king figured it all out here. Verse 27. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. Now verse 28. What was the outcome? And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of who? The wisdom of God was in him to administer Justice. You know something? God loves justice. Or another word we could use is righteousness. God loves righteousness. God loves what is right and fair and pure and good. Well, we're not done with this theme of uh, uh, God uh, of uh, Solomon's wisdom. If you will, go to chapter 10. In the intervening chapters, we have the building and construction of the temple, which we'll come back to that at another time. But we fast forward to chapter 10, and now we have the visit of the Queen of Sheba, which most, uh, most scholars believe that uh, uh, Sheba was either ancient Ethiopia or uh, what might be equivalent to, say, modern-day uh, Yemen. So it could be either of those areas. Nevertheless, she came from quite a distance. Uh, this is chapter 10, verse 1. Now, when the queen of Sheba, either from, say, Ethiopia or coming from what might be modern-day Yemen and the Arabian Peninsula. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. So she heard that Solomon was wise. She's going to come and test him. He's going to ask him a lot of hard questions. Now, I want to find out just, just what kind of wisdom this Solomon really has. He's, he's got a lot of fame around the area, so let's, let's find out. So, verse 2, she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, uh, with camels uh, that bore spices, very much gold, and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, and no doubt his house reflected his wisdom, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters, and their apparel, his cupbearers, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. 
Then she said to the king, It is a true report which I have heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw it with my own eyes, and indeed the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are those servants of yours who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Wow. This just further illustrates the great wisdom that God gave to Solomon. If you will, just go back to chapter 4 a minute here. I should have mentioned this passage, chapter 4, before I went on to 8. But let me just go back here. Chapter 4, verse uh, 29. Verse 29. Just bear with me here. Chapter 4. Yeah, chapter 4, verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom... An exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seesaw. I presume largeness of the heart would mean a, a spirit of uh, generosity, a spirit of kindness. Um, verse 30, thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men. Uh, wiser than Ethan, the Ezraite, and Haman, uh, Kalol. And Darda, sons of Mount uh, Hole, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. I would presume these names that are mentioned in that verse were names that were well known in the ancient world, and people knew that these were wise people. Um, and so it's mentioned here that Solomon is wiser than all of these names which would have been known to the people. Verse 33, and he spoke of trees from cedar, uh, from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop. Uh, that springs out of a wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. So in other words, Solomon was not just uh, having understanding in terms of human nature and how to administer justice as well, but Solomon had a great sense of understanding about nature and how things work in nature. Verse 34, And the men of all nations, from all the kings of the earth, who had heard of his wisdom, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now, just a few final verses. If you will, go back to chapter 10. Chapter 10, and look at verse 23. Chapter 10 and verse 23. Okay, chapter 10, verse 23. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Well, let's think about this now. If you could ask God for anything you wanted, what would you ask for? We might ask for a lot of selfish things. Lord, just clean up my problems, help life to go real easy for me so that I just might feel really, really, really comfortable. But Solomon didn't ask for that. He asked for wisdom because he knew he needed wisdom from God to do his job, to honor God, and to judge God's people righteously. What is wisdom anyway? Wisdom is knowing how to live life, knowing how to make the very best choices and the very best decisions to act in such a way that God is pleased and God's name is honored. It says um, in uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We'll never ever begin to even attain wisdom or even knowledge until we know God and we start to fear the Lord with our hearts. 
And then in James chapter 1 and verse 5, the writer says, If any of you lacks wisdom, and who of us doesn't lack wisdom? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, or who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And that James passage, uh, the writer is primarily thinking of, of wisdom, especially to deal with trials and troubles and difficulty and afflictions in life. So I believe one of the great things we should all ask God for as believers in Christ Jesus, Lord, give us wisdom. Help us to know how to live life well. Help us to know how to make the very best choices in life. Not only choices that are good for us, but choices that are good for all the people around us. Choices that honor you. Choices that carry out your will. Uh, Choices that please your heart and further your kingdom and further the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all need wisdom and it comes from God. Let's make that our petition before God. And let's be careful what we ask God for, that we might ask God for the very best things in life to honor Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this story that is told from the Old Testament. Lord, we thank You for the petition and the request of uh, Solomon. And Lord, we just uh, behold and marvel Your generosity that You granted him his request. And we thank You for that uh, legacy that He has left us uh, of that wisdom and how it's been preserved for us, uh, especially in in the Old Testament collection of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. The Lord, we ask for wisdom as well. Wisdom to do your will. Wisdom to honor your name. A wisdom to make the very best choices in life. Wisdom here in this ministry to make this ministry flourish, Lord. We need your wisdom. We want to humble ourselves and admit that we can't do it on our own. Hear our prayer, O Lord. We pray this for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen. Let's sing our our final hymn tonight. It's uh, 414. Here's wisdom. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. 414. And we'll sing just the first and the third stanza only. 414. Go ahead.